Okay, let's pray. Father, would you let Jesus be exalted and glorified in the setting free of captives today by this word? Come, Holy Spirit, and anoint your living word so that we encounter the one who loves us and lay down his life, that we might have freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, so if you have a Bible this morning, turn there, or if you have a phone, uh, turn there. Children, you can be dismissed. You were afraid that I was going to make you stay in for the sermon, and the good news is, is that you are dismissed to your children's ministry. Thank you for that reminder. We had some intense readings today, and the sermon is going to be a little bit intense because it's around a kind of a sensitive subject that we don't talk about enough, but that we need to talk about. But let me first by, uh, start by sharing a quick story with you. A Christian therapist friend of mine uh, referred a client, whom we'll call Andrea, uh, to me uh, quite some time ago because she suspected that much of her client's mental distress was in fact being caused by an evil spirit. So uh, this person would have panic attacks when she would try to pray. She would uh, scratch her arms obsessively. She would hyperventilate, uh, you know, at the mention of Jesus' names and things like that. She also struggled with depression and self-harm and uh, many, uh, many other uh, compulsive behaviors and violent thoughts. And so she was referred to me, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'm going to tell you a story about the first phone call that I had with her. Uh, because... Um, She wanted to talk about what it would look like to be ministered to in a more spiritual capacity than a counseling session with a team of people who could help get her free from the darkness that she was wrestling with in her life. So I was talking to her on the phone for the first time, and everything was going okay, and I could tell she was a little bit anxious. But once we started talking about, you would come here, and we would have a team of people pray for you, and this is what it would look like, and I was trying to make her feel comfortable. Uh, As soon as we started talking about that, I noticed that over the phone, she started to become very agitated, and she started to, to, to be very short on breath and she would start saying it hurts it hurts I'm sorry hold on I can't breathe I can't breathe and I knew in that moment she's being attacked by whatever is attached to her and I'm thinking in a crisis moment what do I do about this because she's literally having an attack from an evil spirit while I'm talking to her about getting free from it it's agitating the rascal and so how do I deal with this without frightening her because I didn't want to start saying things over the phone you be quiet you evil spirit but then the Holy Spirit drew my attention to a wonderful technological invention on your phone called the mute button And guess what? When you press mute, the person on the other side of the line cannot hear you. But guess what can hear you? The spirit realm. And so I pressed the mute button and I said, evil spirit in the name of Jesus, I command you to let go of her and quit attacking her right now. And guess what happened? (sighs) I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And it happened numerous times. And I would have to stop. I would mute the phone and tell the spirit, I bind you in Jesus name and by his authority, do not attack her anymore while we're talking. And then she would immediately start to calm down and she would be okay. And I was reminded, in that moment, I tell you that because I was reminded that the unseen realm is real. But more importantly, Jesus' authority over everything in the unseen realm is real. That's the important thing that we want to focus on uh, today. But, But friends, biblical Christianity is supernatural, and the American church has become 
secularized at so many levels that we forget that what we uh, live is a supernatural life. We are called to live a supernatural life and to be mindful of what's going on around us in the heavenlies around us, in the unseen realm. And so I want to look at what God's word has to say today to remind us so that we can live in the way that we are called to live. Amen? Okay, Mark chapter 1. But before we get there, let me just remind us that the first encounter of spiritual warfare that happens in the Bible is at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. We have this wonderful, beautiful creation, this garden, and there are the first human beings, Adam and Eve, and they're in it, and they're in relationship with God. And God says, be fruitful and multiply. I will give you, I give you dominion over all the creatures of the world. Did everybody say dominion? dominion. <clears throat> so God gave humanity dominion to rule over the world alongside him in cooperation with him. But then all of the sudden, there's this malevolent serpent-like creature embodied in a serpent who begins to have a conversation with Eve and gets her to begin to de- de- uh, doubt God's love and his purposes. And she gives in and she disobeys the one commandment that God gave them. Thank you, Adam and Eve, for this mess that we're in. But you know what? If it was you or me, we would have done it too. And so we get into this mess and what happened in that moment of sin and rebellion is that the authority and the dominion that Adam and Eve had, the keys of authority that they have were handed over to the evil one. And he got temporary authority in the world. Okay. Now, where does all this come from? Why in the world is there a talking snake in the Garden of Eden? Right? This is supposed to be like a good place, right? And God's presence is there and it's blessed and it's beautiful and there's all kinds of things to eat and wonderful animals and Adam and Eve are enjoying it. So where did this come from? Well, There's a whole bunch of theories about that, but we're not going to go through all of them for the sake of time today. I'm going to give you what I think is just the clearest biblical picture of why this this sort of spiritually malevolent creature is there. Revelation chapter 12, John is uh, the author of Revelation sharing a vision that he had, that of something happening in the eternal realm, the, the heavenly realm, and he says this, he writes in Revelation chapter 12, then war broke out in heaven. There was a war that broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, which means adversary, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So here's my theory. Demons are fallen angels, okay? They have been kicked out of the wonderful glory realm that they lived in and were created to serve God in because of their pride and choosing to follow Satan, the chief rebel, and they have been removed from that glory realm, and now the rascals are roaming about looking for things to inhabit and dwell and influence because they don't get to do that in the highest heaven anymore. Whoa, is your mind blown yet? Like, that's deep, intense stuff, but it's the reality of the spiritual world that is all around us. And it gives us a perfectly biblical explanation for why not only Adam and Eve encounter this being and are lured into sin and rebellion against God, but why some random guy in a synagogue in the first century starts manifesting loudly. So let's jump into that story now and look at it a little bit, a little bit closer. It tells us that uh, in verse 22, now Jesus is in a, in a synagogue, and it tells us that he's teaching 
the, the men of the synagogue would open the scroll and that they would teach if they were authorized to do so. And Jesus is teaching, but something uh, different about, there's something different about the atmosphere when Jesus teaches than, than all the scribes that would usually teach. There was something different about the atmosphere. and People noticed it. It said, what, what is this? It says the people were amazed, verse 22, at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Everybody say authority. There's that word again, dominion, authority. He taught as one who had authority. Now, what was it? This is a question I want to ask. What was it that was amazing about Jesus' authority that uh, made people in awe at how he taught? And I'll tell you what it is. It's that Jesus had intimacy authority. Jesus had intimacy authority rather than status authority. The normal religious teachers and rulers had status authority. Any priest or pastor that stands in the pulpit by virtue of their ordination has status authority, and that's not bad in and of itself. But whether or not you have intimacy authority depends on if you are like Jesus and you spend time with your heavenly father and you live in his presence and you obey him and you commune with him regularly and you press in for the more that he has for you. Jesus's authority flowed out of his intimacy with the father. And and young people, for you, I want you to hear this message because there is a spiritual authority that God has for you to walk in that you will not get from watching good sermons on YouTube and you will not get from going to good Bible studies or youth group events, which are good and you should go to, but that will only come out of your own face-to-face time with Jesus. And Jesus wants to send you into your schools and into your colleges when you get there, walking in a spiritual authority that has people amazed, not at you, but at Jesus in you. I hunger to see that happen in our generation, a pouring out of the Spirit on the young, amen, on Gen Z, amen, and and Gen Alpha and whatever we're going to now in our generational names. I want to see the Spirit poured out so that young people walk in the authority that God has for them to bring the lost to Jesus. Verse 23. Verse 23. When somebody is moving in spiritual authority, sometimes the spirit realm gets stirred up and agitated. Now, how many of you have ever been in an abandoned building? Come on, truth be told. Yeah, okay. So some of us have gone, yeah, the high schoolers are like, yeah, okay. You went into that abandoned building in the downtown, you know, downtown, wherever, in the middle of the night with your friends, and you snuck in, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not, this isn't personal testimony or anything, but you sneak in, and there's a way to get in. And so anyway, but if you bring flashlights, and you go into a new room, and you shine flashlights everywhere, what will scatter? The rats, right? You'll see the rats because the light shakes them up and disturbs them, and they run. And so here's what happens in this synagogue when Jesus begins to preach from the, the, the scroll. A man suddenly, possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You see, demons hide. They like to hide. That's how they keep control in people's lives. So if you spot them, you got them. Okay? But, but they like to hide because they're masters of deception and they don't want to be booted out. They want to stay. And and by the way, just disclaimer, I do believe that born-again Christian believers can have issues with demons. But Jesus wants to free you from that. I 100% believe it, not only from eight years of pastoral experience, but theological reading and reading the testimony of thousands of others. I do believe that. So anyway, this is a rat scattering because the light is too strong and he can't stand it. So he exposes himself. Okay? Gotcha. Gotcha. And Jesus 
uh, does not deal with him by saying, hey, 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 whoa, what's going on? Hey, are you okay? Let's go out for coffee and talk about this, right? What does Jesus say? It literally, in the Greek, it means shut up. <laughs> he speaks to the spirit, right? He says, shut up. So kids, that's one time, young people, it's one time you're allowed to say shut up is when you're talking to a demon, okay? Jesus said, shut up and get out of him. Notice that he said, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? Right? So now we're dealing with the realm of fallen angels that are against Jesus and against God and against humanity. Have you come to destroy us? What's the answer to that question? Yes. Say it louder. Yes. The answer is yes, he did. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work in every form. Demons are like they're like little children, right? So this is, like a, this is like a little kid saying, you just want to ruin my life, right? Have you ever said that to your parents? You just want to ruin my life. You don't let me go to that movie with my friends because it's rated R. You just want to ruin my life, right? This demon and this man is like, you've just come to destroy us. I know who you are, blah, blah, blah. And he's just babbling. And Jesus is like, nope, we're not. This conversation ends right here. Shut up, get out. And the man is set free. If you've ever seen somebody get free from spiritual bondage like that, it's one of the most beautiful things you will ever see. People say, I felt like a dark cloud lifted off me. I felt, like, I felt like everything just went from black and white to, to technicolor. And, and there's a peace that comes over them. There's a freedom, a tangible freedom that comes over them. There's tears of joy. There's a sense that God is with me and in me. It's a beautiful thing. And this man was set free. This man was set free. Now, there's a little bit of a fit, and sometimes there is. There's a little bit of resistance because when you're doing battle with a demon, you're essentially, it's a battle of wills with like a very strong-willed toddler. And I know what that's like because I have one. He, he's sitting in the back of the room. It's like, a, it's like a strong will. But Jesus walked in such authority that he just said, come out. We're not talking about this over coffee. You're coming out and you're done here. And he goes. And the man is free. The man is free. Here's, here, let, I want to focus for a minute on the response of the people that Mark records for us. He says in verse 27... The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. You see, all deliverance from evil spirits or spiritual bondage should bring glory to Jesus and draw attention to Jesus. Some people get too wrapped up in everything's a demon, everything's a demon. No, that, a lot of that is just your flesh. And have you ever heard the saying before? You can't crucify a demon and you can't cast out flesh, right? And so some of the problems in our life are just flesh problems. But some of the problems in our lives, even as Christians, sometimes are demons. We need, to, we, and we need that dealt with. And it's not a popular thing for, for people to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it because it's right here in the Bible. And the Bible says that we have to talk about it and that it's real and that we need to do it. Okay. Now, I don't, for the sake of time, I, couldn't, I can't go into all the reasons of like, how do people get demons and how do they open the door for all that and everything. So we're not going to talk a lot about that, but we're going to focus on the deliverance that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. The people were so amazed and glory was drawn to Jesus. Ramsey McMullen was a, a professor of uh, history and classics at Yale uh, years ago, and he wrote a book called Christianizing the Roman Empire, 100 to 400 AD. 
And um, he says in that book, this is a secular historian, and he says in that book, the church, the early church in the first four centuries that was in the Roman Empire, it grew rapidly and exponentially in those first four centuries due to two primary factors, miracles of healing and exorcism. The church was growing because people could go and get spiritual freedom. They could be healed of their sicknesses and they could get set free from spiritual torment and oppression. Isn't that amazing? And that ministry continued on, not just in the days of the Bible, but in on into the early church. I won't go all the way down the line and read quotes from every century, but let me read you one. This is from Irenaeus of Lyon. He lived in the years approximately 115 to 202 AD, and we have some of his writings, and he said this, those who are truly the Lord's disciples perform miracles in his name for the well-being of others according to the gift that each one has received from him. For some truly drive out devils so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently believe and join the church. Would that we reclaim such a supernatural kind of Christianity. Would it be the case that in our churches today there was growth because people, the news about Jesus setting captives free was what was drawing people to our churches? Amen? Let's reclaim that. We want to reclaim that at Adoration Church. One of our goals in the leadership for 2024 is to raise up a team of people who can minister who can minister prayerfully to people who are in bondage, to people who are broken, to p- people who need sometimes deliverance from evil spirits. That's one of the goals that we have as a church because we want to reclaim supernatural Christianity because it's regular in the Bible. It's not called that. It's just normal Christianity. Okay? So we want to see people get free because Jesus came to set captives free. Right? He said so himself. Now, I want to give you, and I am going to need my slide person to jump on for a minute because I forgot to tell them that I do have some slides. You don't need to bounce anywhere, anywhere just yet, but I'll cue you in just a second, Jared. So I want to ask the question, where does the power for freedom come from? Where does the power for freedom, freedom from demons, freedom from sickness, freedom from sin, where does that power come from? And that power for all spiritual freedom comes through the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary 2,000 years ago. It's the source of all the power that we have to walk in freedom. And I want to show you three different ways that it does. You can go to the first slide. The first way that Jesus brought us freedom through his cross is because by what he did there, he canceled our sin debt. He canceled our sin debt. This is what Colossians 2 says. You were dead, right? Not you were asleep or you just were kind of naughty. You were dead. He's talking to believers who are now alive spiritually. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Then this is what he says about the spiritual rulers of evil. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So Jesus took, if you stop right now and close your eyes and thought about your sin record of all the sins you've committed over your life, there wouldn't be enough room in this room for all of us to do that, right? But Jesus took it when he died on the cross and he shredded it up and it was nailed to the cross and it was thrown away forever. And guess why that's good news? Because that list of sin is what Satan, the accuser, uses to try to accuse you before God. But Jesus Jesus said, sorry, devil, you can't do that to those who belong to me anymore because I nailed that to the cross 2,000 years ago and took it into the grave with me. And so your debt and my debt, if you have put your trust in Jesus, is forgiven forever. 
and we can no longer be successfully accused before God's throne in heaven. Amen? Like, you should be rejoicing right now. There's no more, there's no more, the trial's over. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first way that the cross delivers us from Satan is, is it delivers us from demonic accusation, right? You'll never be good enough for God. You'll never be pleasing to God. Oh God, look what they did. They sinned again. I, I, I ask forgiveness. I'm cleansed. I belong to him forever. Jesus has dealt with that. So that can never come against me. Number two is that Jesus absorbed all that causes suffering in our lives. This is another thing that Jesus did. He absorbed all that causes suffering in our lives onto himself. Isaiah the prophet said this, looking forward ahead to Jesus, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see that amazing exchange that happened was that Jesus suffered everything that the devil could throw at him right? Mocking, slander, torment, accusations, torture, and death by crucifixion. And he absorbed it all onto himself. And then he went into the grave and he took it with him. And then he and he alone rose up victoriously over all that junk. Amen? And so our healing and our freedom from bondage and our ability to walk in victory over sin was all purchased for us by the precious blood of the lamb at Calvary. Jack Hayford says this, Jesus bore the beating of his own body in order to absorb into himself the power of everything that breaks human life, spirit, soul, and body. Sin, sickness, mental torment, failure, depression, and all manner of evil have been absorbed by him. Jesus took all of it upon himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number three. Jesus took back spiritual authority over the world. The spiritual authority that Adam and Eve surrendered when they sinned and gave in to the devil's temptation, Jesus took it back. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Listen, it has been given to me. See what I said about the Garden of Eden, right? I was not lying. It's true. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If the devil tries to tempt you or talk to you, answer him with the word of God. You don't need to come up with your own words. Answer him with the word of God. That's what Jesus did. You see, Jesus, instead of saying, wow, it would be really nice to have that the easy way, He said, no, I'm going to proceed with the mission that my father has given to me, and I am going to take authority over all the kingdoms of the world, but I'm going to do it on the path of suffering that I've been called to. And he walked, and he set his face towards Jerusalem like flint, and he walked all the way to Calvary until our sin was laid upon him, and all the wickedness of the world was absorbed into his very being for you and for me. And when Jesus rose from the dead and he was speaking to his disciples, he said to them, I want you to fill in the blank, all in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much? Some? All. All All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he triumphed over death and sin by giving himself to suffering in love for us. That is our Jesus. Jesus. 
That's the Jesus who's worthy of worship, who's worthy of holy tears, who is worthy to be spoken about on your lips to your friends and family members and neighbors. Amen? That is Jesus. You see, my point in showing you all these verses and talking about the cross is that it's the blood of Jesus that sets us free, right? It's not a formula that you pray that helps get rid of a demon, or it's not even who you know who's really uh, theologically learned or is a pastor. It's the blood of Jesus that sets us free. It's in his blood that is our freedom. You see, we, we heard a reading from 1 Corinthians 10 this morning, and Paul is talking about the Eucharist. Okay? And he says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Now, Anglicans, I'm talking to you. This is why we do this every week. That word participation, koinonia, it is referring to a mystical union that we have when we drink from this cup with Jesus. That's why we say you better be right with the Lord when you come up here and drink from this cup. If you're not, come up and receive a blessing. Cross your arms. It's okay. Jesus loves you. But if you're not walking with him right now and there's sin in your life that you need to deal with, come up and receive a blessing. Okay? Because what happens up here when we receive the Eucharist, we are participating with Jesus in a uniquely intimate way. And every time we come to this table, we participate in his eternal victory over the powers of darkness, and we receive it by faith into our body. Hallelujah. The Lord has given us these things for victory over the evil one, for strength and sustenance in the Christian life. Don't underestimate the power of what's happening when you come up here every week and say yes to Jesus by receiving afresh his sacrifice for you. There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Nick, if you would come up and just um, minister quietly, um, musically, I would appreciate it. Just kind of want to transition us towards a time of some practical uh, reflections, and then we'll respond to the Lord with worship, because there's no greater way to respond to the good news of him who loves us and has freed us from all darkness by his blood. But Here's where I want to get practical. People in our day are afflicted. People are afflicted. People are oppressed, whether it's depression or anxiety disorders or panic attacks or sexual addiction or drug addiction. People are, or social media addiction or screen addiction. People in our day are experiencing unprecedented amounts of bondage in their life. And and not everything is a spiritual thing, right? Just because you are addicted to your screen doesn't mean that you have a demon, okay? It could. It could be energized by that, but it doesn't. So I don't want to go there. But I do want to say that we're too quick to write off spiritual realities and just send somebody to a therapist, okay? And I'm for therapy, by the way. I say that every week. I'm for that. But we're too quick to, to, to write things off instead of get to the root of the problem in people's lives that's really keeping them in bondage. And so not everybody needs like a full-blown exorcism, right? Like, shut up in the name of Jesus, come out of him, ah, head spinning and vomit and all that. Not everybody needs that. But I would say in 95% of the cases that I've worked in where somebody needs deliverance like that, it's fairly non-dramatic. And what it is, more than anything, it is an issue of dealing with lies that we have come to believe, what, you know, Jesus says Satan is the father of lies. He only, the, anytime he opens his mouth, he's lying. There's nothing he doesn't utter. There's nothing he utters that isn't a lie. 
So it would make sense that a key to the enemy having a stronghold in our lives and having a grasp on us as some part of our life would be that he's used lies and we have agreed with his lies. Okay? And so what I want to do is I want to share a couple of practical ways to think about this in our own lives and to take stock of some things and then to invite Jesus to come and bring freedom from lies that we believed. You see, a lot of us, even in this room, live with secrets. We have secrets that nobody else knows about. We have little areas of darkness, little compartments in our heart that are like, no, that's too tender. If I told anybody, they would think ill of me. They would never want to talk to me again, or they would not even believe that I went there or that I thought that or whatever. And friends, I want to tell you just from personal experience in wrestling with darkness throughout the years in my own life, I came out of a life of a lot of drugs and alcohol and partying and just a, a, a very dark lifestyle. And coming out of that, one of the greatest things that has led to my intimacy with Jesus and a deeper knowing of him is becoming secret free. And I want everybody, and I'm on a mission to help people get secret free, to get rid of secrets. Now, I'm not going to ask you to like, say your secrets out loud today, okay? So you can take a deep breath I'm not, and breathe out. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I'm on, I want to make a point about something. When we have secrets that are unconfessed and undealt with, guess who has a little bit of control in our life? right? And so we want to take stock of those kind of things. Rob Reimer in his wonderful book, Soul Care, says, the symptoms you are trying to fix in your life right now are likely connected to the lies you believe, okay? So let me give you an example of how this happens. Something, let's say, traumatic happens. Let's say it's a moment of uh, let's say it's a moment that's very fearful. You get in some kind of an accident. You're injured. You have to go to the hospital. And, it's a and then in that moment comes a thought in your head that I can never allow myself to do this. Or let's take an, another example. Let's take another example. You have a mother or a father who doesn't treat you very well. And there's a moment where you are really hoping they will be there for you and they don't show up. They don't show up. Or they do and they're cold and they're not really, they don't seem interested in you. And in that moment, a little lie comes into your mind that you can never trust your mom and dad, nor can you forgive them for this because they are not faithful. And you see, what happens sometimes in those moments is that we agree with the lie. And we come into a partnership with it. And then we've opened the door for the enemy to influence us and to torment us because now we have a trust issue. Now we have a, a mother issue or a father issue or a trauma issue. And the Lord Jesus, I have seen him not only heal stuff like that in my own life, but in the lives of dozens of others. And so I want to give you a few practical things to think about how to move towards freedom in your life. And maybe just even, I believe the Lord wants to minister, even this morning in your seat, I believe that the Lord wants to minister you. He is a gentle king. He's a gentle healer. So here's a few steps that we could think about for those of us who struggle with torment or addiction or, or whatever. Number one is, if you haven't, this is a first and foundational step in dealing with spiritual darkness. You need to say yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you have not personally, you can't be saved because your friends are or because your pastor preached a good message or because you listen to Christian music, you have to make a decision in your heart not to say a maybe, but a full yes to Jesus. I want to surrender everything to you and follow you from this moment forward. So that's foundational. And maybe, maybe there are people here this morning who need to do that and say yes to Jesus. 
Because Jesus won't exercise his good authority in your life if you haven't yet surrendered your life to him. He can't, right? So we have to say yes. Number two is that you need to declare to yourself and to the whole unseen realm around you who you are in Christ. I am God's child. I am God's beloved. He is pleased with me because of what Jesus has done. I am adopted into his family and no one can snatch me out of my father's hand. That's one of the areas where there's a lot of lies around is our identity. We don't believe that. And so the enemy has too much influence because we lack confidence in who we are in Jesus. And we need to declare that confidence over and over to ourselves. This is who God's word says I am. Number three is this, and this is a practical thing. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Because you can do this quietly and inwardly right now. Ask the Holy Spirit, this is what we're going to do, to show you any lies that you've believed and partnered with. So I'm going to give just a few examples in different areas, and then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us. Number one is in the area of condemnation. An example being, God will never be pleased with you. Number two is in the area of unforgiveness. It could be something like, your mom doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Number three is in the area of addiction, where we believe the lie, you need this to be secure, and you deserve it. Number four is around the area of shame which could be a lie like this. It's your fault that your parents are divorced or you can't hold a good job because you're stupid. Number uh, five is anger. It could be something like this. You deserve to be resentful because you were done wrong. And lastly is fear. You'll never be safe. You'll never be safe in a relationship, in a car, on a plane, when you're talking to your parents. So Holy Spirit, I want to ask that for all of us, that you, as you come with the love of Jesus, that you would just, Lord, pull up anything that needs attention in the hearts in this room right now. But Lord, we believe that you want to encounter us because you love us and you love to shine light to expose darkness so that it can be healed and that we can walk in freedom. So Holy Spirit, I ask you, Lord, just for the precious souls in this room, open their ears to hear and bring to mind lies that have been believed. (laughs) Moments of pain where they didn't turn to you, but instead believed and partnered with a lie. Bring it to our minds, Lord. We want to be healed. We want to walk in freedom. Now, whatever the Lord has brought to mind, we want to ask God's forgiveness for believing the lie or maybe committing the sin. And then we want to renounce it. We want to renounce it and any spiritual darkness that has come along with it. So I want to just lead us in a prayer this morning Because I believe actually there's a road to freedom that is starting for some people in this room this morning. I believe that. I believe the Lord has spoken to me about that this week, that he wanted to bring people onto a journey of healing that would actually begin today and that freedom would begin today. So I want you to just pray with me. We're just going to pray this together. Heavenly Father, 
I refuse to believe this lie. You are a God of truth. And I agree with you about my life. I renounce this lie. I refuse to be held captive any longer in Jesus' name. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to use our God-given authority right now to seal this, and we're going to pray, and we're going to command anything that has had influence in our life to leave right now. Y'all ready? Let's do this. In Jesus' name. Any spirits that are not of God must leave my presence right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Bring freedom, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, this is what I want to do. I want to pray over us. I want to pray and ask God now to fill you afresh with his love through the Holy Spirit. So eyes closed. And if you want to receive from the Lord, Jesus said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So if you want to receive from the Lord an immersion in his love, a reminder from him, a kiss from heaven, if you will, put your hands out in front of you, palms up. Show the Lord a posture of reception and desire. The Lord knows your heart. Father, you are so good. Jesus, you are so good. Holy Spirit, you are so good. And Lord, we thank you for this holy moment. Lord, we thank you that you're bringing freedom into lives right now, that you break every chain and set us free. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and pour out the love of the Father into the hearts of your people this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just like like an overflowing well, pour out rivers of living water into the hearts of your people. Father, I pray that confidence in your love would grow in this room this morning. Jesus, you said if we come to you, rivers of living water will flow out of us. So Lord, I pray for a release of those rivers of living water out of every soul in this room today. Pour out your love, O God. We receive it in Jesus' name. We receive it. We're just going to transition right into a time before communion of singing to the Lord for a few more minutes. Let's just continue to let him minister to us as we offer ourselves up to him in song. I